You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We're in this series, The Reach, talking about the reach of God through the early church after the resurrection. When you think about the fact that when Jesus was crucified, everybody ran for cover within 50 days They were anticipating something that Jesus promised he was going to do by virtue of sending the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, it all happened. And by the way, tonight on NBC, if you're watching the AD uh, miniseries there about the the church, I mean, think about this, a major network, a movie about the growth of the early church. Tonight, the episode is about the, the, uh, the day of Pentecost. So DVR that, watch it, save it. At some point, it'd be great for you to, to see how they, how they uh, portray that. But, but we're talking about how this church did, these early believers did three things really, really well. And this is why the church exploded through the power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, they loved extravagantly. We talked about that last week. They loved extravagantly, the insiders and the outsiders. Secondly, they They gave generously. They gave out of what their abundance. They gave out of their need. And God blessed them as they gave to one another. And they served humbly. They took care of the widows and the orphans. And everybody who had gifts and abilities used that for the sake of the body. So we're asking the question today, what will be the reach of your life? That's really the question of the series. What will be the reach of your life? David Brooks is a columnist for the New York Times, and he wrote a book recently called The Road to Character. And uh, last week's, last Sunday's New York Times had a a column that he wrote based on this book. And in the column, he talks about how he comes across the paths of people who impress him, people who just seem to radiate this inner light. He says that there are people in all walks of life. He said they seem to be people that are just, they're just deeply good they listen well. They, they make you feel valued. They, you, you often catch them looking after other people and in their manner is infused, he said, with gratitude. They aren't thinking about what a wonderful work they are doing. They're not thinking about themselves at all. And when I hear him describe this, it makes me think about that early church. And I read the description in the book of Acts and the epistles of how these people loved extravagantly and and gave generously and served humbly. Well, in fact, in Acts it says that these people, it summarized the growth of their church. It said they were getting together all the time, breaking bread together in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of the people. I mean, what an, what an atmosphere there was among these people. It says that they cared for the widows and the orphans. It says that they all treated each other equally if you were a Jew or a Greek. And they did not get along with each other in those days. But when they came together in the family of God, they were brothers and sisters, uh, male or female, slave or free. They're, they're, all the walls of division were being broken down among these people. And, and you have to agree with me that that doesn't happen naturally that it has to be a God thing for that to happen. But that was a description of the early church. And so David Brooks goes on and he talks about, he's not talking about the early church, he's just learning in, in his own human wisdom about this. And, but I love what he says in his article. He says, there are two sets of virtues. 
there are resume virtues and there are eulogy virtues. He said, resume virtues are the skills that we bring to the marketplace, our education, our talent, our, our, our abilities, and our skills. But he says, eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral, whether you were kind, whether you were brave, honest, faithful. Were you capable of deep love? Those are eulogy virtues. And he says, we all know that the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume virtues. But the fact of the matter is, we go to college, we go to trade school, we learn from others how to build our resume. But where are we learning how to build our character? How are we working on creating these eulogy virtues? Where does that take place? And so we need to do this idea of saying, okay, I, have, I can bring a certain amount to the marketplace to make a living, but what am I doing to build a life? And here's the thing. The reach of your life is not going to be measured by the stuff that you have, but the measure of your life is going to be by what you do with what you have what you do with the life you've been given, by the quality of your character, not the stuff you can accumulate, not the degrees you have behind your name or the title that you can have or how many Facebook friends you can acquire or how many followers on Twitter or Instagram you can have. That's not going to be the measure of your life, folks. The measure of your life is going to be your character that you can build, and that's your eulogy virtues. Those are the things that, you're, that people will come to remember you for. That's the reach of your life beyond your life. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. So how can we be more authentically loving and generous and giving people? We do it because we get it from God. You know, when Jesus sent his followers out to heal the sick and to raise the dead and cleanse those with leper and drive out demons, in in Matthew chapter 10, it says to them, he said to them, freely you have received, therefore freely give. They had this idea that everything they had was given to them freely. They were a life that was a gift, and now they're free to give that life away. And so the point is, I'm not measured by the things I buy. I'm measured by the one who bought me. I'm bought with a price. My sin accrued this huge debt. But Jesus paid my debt. Jesus cleared the check. I am now, in God's eyes, free, forgiven, made to be able to do what God wants me to do. I am loved Christ serviced my debt, he paid my ransom, and now I am found in him. That helps me to see others through whole different eyes. The day before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples several parables, several stories so that they would remember things. Stories are told so that we can remember the point of the story. And this is a story that in in, uh, the older versions of the Bible, it's called... Uh, the parable of the talents. And I don't want the talents to be a misnomer because when we think of talents, obviously we think of abilities and skills and things like that. And although it can be applied to that, it really is a story about, it's a story about what we have. It's the, it's, it's the life we've been given, including the wealth that we have. A talent <clears throat> in those days was basically 
an amount of money. In the New International Version, it says bags of gold. And he gave certain bags of gold to this one and certain amount to this one, that one and certain amount. It, it's really about a wealthy individual who is in the story, who, you know, the picture of God. I mean, because God owns it all, right? And so he tells a story about this person who's very wealthy and he, he's, he's going away and he, he wants to entrust his wealth to some people who will manage his wealth for him. And in my reading, I, I read that a talent is equal to 20 years of a laborer's pay. Think about that. One talent is equal to 20 years of an average laborer's pay. So let's, let's use our economy as an example. If, a, if the average laborer is getting less than $15 an hour, then that amounts to about $30,000 a year. Times 20 years... $600,000. To one person, he gave five talents. Five times 600 is $3 million. Here, I'm giving this to you to manage. To the other person, he gives two talents, which is $1.2 million in our economy. And the other, he gives one talent, which is $600,000. Why does he use such a large number? Because it's about God and God owns it all. Right? But in the story, this is the, you know, this is a one a one percent of the one percenters, a man who's that wealthy. And so he, he asked three managers to manage his money. And let's just say their names are Merrill and Charles and Edward. All right? Just just pull those names out of a hat. So so he invested in Merrill and he invests it in Charles and he invests it in Edward. And because he wants to spread it out. He's a smart guy. He didn't get there without having some brains. So he wants to spread it out among others. And he says, here, I'm going to go away. I want you to invest this. And I'm going to come back someday. And I want to see how you did with, with the wealth that I have given you. My wealth I'm giving to you to manage. And, and so the story goes on. And, and so the first guy he gave $3 million to. And he comes back and says, after a long period of time. So this didn't happen overnight. He invested it over a long period of time, say five, seven, ten years, he comes back. And he, and he, and he goes to the guy, he says, well, how, how did he do? He said, I invested it, and it doubled. Oh, good job. Goes to the guy that had two talents, he invested it, and it doubled. So it went from 1.2 to $2.4 million in the, in the ten years or so that he's away. And to each of these servants... The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And I would dare say that the master's happiness included a chunk of the money that they helped to increase for him. So he goes to the other person that he gave one talent to and said, how did you do? And he digs, he said, well, this is what it says in in the message paraphrase of this. He says, Master, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways, that you demand the best, you make no allowances for error, and I was afraid that I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. In other words, he dug a hole and he buried it. 
He didn't put it to work. He didn't invest it. He didn't think of how he could put his skills and efforts to work to, to invest. The he didn't, not only did he not keep up with inflation, he didn't even put it in a bank where he could get, you know, 0.001% interest that you can get now if you're putting your money in a bank. So the master was furious. And he said, that's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the very least you could have done? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little bit of interest. So he takes that pile of money that he gave to this guy and he says, forget it, I'm going to give it to the guy that had more, that did a good job with it. He says, get out of here, you're fired. Why did Jesus tell that story is the big question, right? Why would you think Jesus would tell a story like that to his followers the day before he was crucified? Because he wanted them to remember something. He wanted them to remember the fact that I want you to know that God gave you your life and your life is a gift. And you have a responsibility to do the right thing with your life. You need to invest your life in a way that's going to have dividends for others for a long time to come. All of us have a certain amount of time. All of us have talent. All of us have treasures. This life is a gift. And the thing that he's saying is, it's all God's. These people were given this, but it was God's to give. And I think... For a believer, we sang the song, we believe in Jesus Christ. What we say when we believe, we believe that our lives are a gift from God. And you might say, well, I only have a one-talent life. You should have done more for me, God. I wish I would have had a five-talent life. But that's the wrong kind of thinking. All of us have a certain amount, and it's a gift from God. Would you say that? My life is a gift from God. My life is a gift from God. My life is a gift from God. Think just, what, just saying that makes you feel grateful, doesn't it? After the first service, somebody said, here's the thought for the day. What if you woke up in the morning and the only thing you had was what you thanked God for the day before? Living a life of Gratitude. Living a life of gratitude. Your life is a gift. Your intellect, your health, your wealth, your, your birthright. You were born in a country that has given you far more privileges than if you would have just been born to somebody else in another part of the world or even in parts of this country. You know that you didn't choose to be born where you were born, in the family that you were born, in the country that you were born, with the intellect that you were have and the opportunities that you have. Any of us could have been born anywhere else and the fact that we were born at all is miraculous. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And it's true, not everybody is given the same hand. Not all of us have the same. Some of us are five-talent people. Some of you, I should say. Some of you are two-talent. And then there's the rest of us. And then there's me. There's the rest of us. We're the one-talent people. The question isn't how much you've been given. The question is, what are you doing with what you've been given? That's really the point of this. What are you doing with what you've been given? Are you living in fear and self-preservation? Because that's what this one talent person did. 
Are you like hoarding it all to yourself? Oh no, I might lose this, so I'm just going to hide. I'm going to be in fear. I'm not going to take risk. I'm not going to spend my life. I'm not going to do more to be able to accumulate or, or do more. I'm not able. So this, this scarcity mindset person is that one talent person. The other people are abundant. It's like, hey, it's not my money. I'm just going to invest it and I'm going to be wise. I'm going to work. I'm going to do what I can to make it grow. But, you know, I need to do something about it. I need to have a plan. So they had a plan because they had an abundance mindset. When we have a scarcity mindset, we hoard, we hide, we're living in fear. Are you a fear-based person or are you a faith-based person? And I think if you're a faith-based person, you're able to say, well, God, you gave me this. I have what I am. I am what I am. And I have something to give. Maybe others have more to give, but I have something to give. And I can give my time. I can give my talent. I can give my treasures. I can invest it for you, God. So that's what that's about. I want to hear whenever it's time for my eulogy. I, don't, I, I hope others will say nice things about me, no doubt. But I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Come and enjoy the master's house. Right? I, I live for that. I live for that. And, and here's the other thought. It's never too early or too late to invest your life. Now is the time. You're never too young to start building your eulogy virtues. Well, you know, when I get out of college, then I'll straighten up, then I'll be living, then I'll, I gotta get this out of my system. No, what you're doing is getting it into your system. Start now to build those, those build the char- it takes a lifetime to build your character and it takes a minute to lose your character. And we need to be careful of investing it in when we're young and doing the things that we know is going to produce lasting dividends because I want my life to have a reach that matters. And it's a daily choice that I'm going to do that. You're never too young to invest in your eulogy virtues. Imagine, you remember, uh, maybe you've read the children's book, The Giving Tree. Any of you ever read The Giving Tree with your kids or when you were a kid, you read it? Uh, The Giving Tree is just a little story, a children's story like they all are, but has a great message. And it's about a tree and the relationship that tree has to the boy in the story. And it's when the tree is young and the boy is young, the tree provides a playground for the child. It's something that he could climb upon. It's something that he could, could hang a swing from. And so the tree provides for him when he's little. When he gets older, the tree provides fruit for the boy to eat and have sustenance. As he gets older, the branches from the tree are used to build a house for the boy to live in. And then when he's old, the tree is old, it's cut down, but there's still a stump there for the boy when he's old to have a place to sit when he's resting. And the point of the story is that we have something to give at every stage of life. No matter how young or how old you are, you can be a giving person. You can provide for others. Every season of life, God entrusts you with gifts to be given away. Your time, your talent, your treasures. And that's when times are lean. And even when your cup is overflowing, it's time. You're never too poor or never too rich, never too young or never too old to love somebody. To be generous with others. To be a selfless person and a giving person. A serving person.
Craig Rochelle, when he talks about the responsibility of wealth, he, <clears throat> he says this, he talks about, because it's important that we have an abundance mindset. Problem with two of, many of us is we have this scarcity mindset. But let me try to change that for you because Greg, Craig, as Craig Rochelle says, he says, if you are a person who haven't missed a meal in the last three weeks because you couldn't afford it, not because you were dieting, but if you missed a meal over the last three weeks because you couldn't afford it, if you didn't have to do that, then you're rich. In other words, he goes on to say, if your kids attend a school of your choosing, either because you pay for it or because you've chosen to live in a specific geographical area, then you're rich. He said, if you have a car and only 3 to 5% of the world's population owns a car, if you own a car, you're rich. And if you have a little house for your car that we call a garage, you're richer still. If you pay other people to prepare your food for you, I'm not talking about a household servant. I'm talking about McDonald's or you go out to eat, you order a pizza. If you can pay for other people to prepare your food for you, you're rich. You're rich. While you might not feel rich, the fact is that you are because you have rich people opportunities. And I think when we understand, man, I am blessed beyond belief. You know, I can earn at this level, and I can really live at this level. And I can ask God, what do you want me to do with the rest? The problem is, no matter how much people earn, they're choosing to live at this level. Even though they could live at this level, they're choosing to live at this level, and then they're always trying to catch up. And that's no way to live. Bible says, from everyone who has been given, much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much, much more will be asked. I love the paraphrase of this in Luke 12 in the message. It says, the servant who knows what his master wants and ignores it or insolently does whatever he pleases will be thoroughly trashed. But if he does a poor job through ignorance, he'll get off with a slap on the hand. Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, greater responsibilities. And so if if there's fruit on your branches of your, you're the giving tree and there's fruit on your branches, if you don't give that fruit away, what's going to happen to the fruit on a tree that doesn't get used? It rots. It's ugly. It's squishy. You would never eat that. And there's so many people who have so much opportunity to bless others with the fruit of their lives, and they don't. And what does that look like? How does that smell? So we need to be good and faithful servants in this one life that we have. The first two servants doubled their master's money, but you know how they did it? They had a plan, didn't they? They had a plan to to do something with this. They didn't just bury it and hope that it would grow on its own like a plant. It would do something because they had a plan. So what what I think we need to do is, first of all, with this one life that we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, we need to talk to God. God, what am I supposed to do with this life that you've given me? 
God, I have certain talents and abilities and passions. Should I go into business? Should I go into nonprofits? Should I go into ministry, missions, whatever? You know, well, God, what do you want me to do? Should I be in science? Should I be in the arts? What, what is it you want me to do, God? Because you created me. I need to invest that in a way that's going to bring glory to you and uh, hopefully be able to provide a living for me so that I can have a life that's worth living. So pray, God, what's a plan? Give me a plan. And realize that everything you have is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift says, coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. So pray, ask God for a plan, make a plan, and then work the plan. Plan with your money, plan with your time, plan with your passions. Don't spend all of your energy at work. Don't spend all of your energy in any one place. You can, you can invest it in a variety of ways, but you got to have a plan to make it work. And I want to do something here that, that uh, hopefully can illustrate that for you. Having a plan helps you to be strategic with your life. And uh, not having a plan will cause you to be less able to do that. So maybe you've seen this illustration before. If you haven't, sometimes it's used to talk about managing our time. Uh, it can be used to talk about managing our, our finances. Let's use it for that this morning. So, this is your, everything in this container is your life. All right? Or maybe it's the means that God has given you. It's, it's your wealth, okay? It's what you've, what maybe, let's just call it your monthly income. Can we do that? Let's make it real simple. Okay, let's just call this, this is your monthly income. And the problem is many people don't have a plan of what they're going to do with the income that God has allowed them to have right? Um, but we all have priorities, and that's what the big rocks are. Let's just call these big rocks our, our must-dos, our priorities, right? I mean, the, the basic priority of, is survival. We got to eat. We got to have a roof over our head, right? We got to have at least some clothes on our body. So the bare minimum, we, gotta, we have the, the necessary, the necessities of life, is, is the first priority or a priority. I won't say it's the first, it's a priority. And we have another priority and that's the future. We need to save for the future, right? Uh, there will come a day perhaps, God forbid, that you might be disabled, you might not be able to earn an income, you might not be able to care for yourself, don't wait for your kids to care for you. If you have kids, that may not happen. Uh, I wouldn't count on the government providing for us. So. I suggest that we invest something every day, no matter, when you get your first paycheck, young people, you need to put a little bit of it away for your retirement, believe it or not. I believe that. I believe that. So that's a priority. And then God, we need to put God first. We need to invest in the kingdom of God. We need to say, God, I want my life to count beyond myself. These are things for me. God's all about doing things for God's kingdom, for others. And I need to invest in God. I need to tithe. I need to give a 10% to my church. That's another priority that we need to have. And once you take care of those priorities, those are the basics to live on in life, then all the rest is free to use how you choose to use it. But here's the problem. We want to get, this is, this is what we need for that month to, be, to, to reach level, okay? 
problem is, for many of us, we have these priorities, but we don't have a plan for them. But we wake up and first day, oh, I'm hungry. I think I'm going to stop at the restaurant to get a bite to eat. I'm going to go stop at Brugger's or Starbucks and buy that, that nice coffee that cost an arm and a leg. You know, I, boy, I've got to have, got to get that new Apple Watch, man. That is just a, a necessity. God, I can't live without that. I don't know how I lived all these years without an Apple Watch. You know? And, you know, but you've got to have the smartphone to go with the watch because it won't work without a good smartphone, so I've got to get that. Oh, man, there's a great movie out. Got to do that. There's all kinds of television shows I have to subscribe to because I've got to be able to talk about them at work to everybody. And so we spend all that stuff. And then it's like, oh, no, the bills are coming due. Got to pay the utilities. Got to pay the rent. Got to pay the mortgage. Ah, they're taking an offering at church. I'm supposed to tithe. I'm supposed to give to God. Future savings. And, you know, so you can't fit it in. At the end of the month, you can't fit it all in. So let me show you something. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? All right. What if, what if you took care of the big rocks first, right? And, and I would say I would put the God rock first. God, you're first in my life. Everything is yours. All my life, everything I have is yours, God. I'm going to commit 10% of everything you give me, and I'm going to take that off the top. Teresa and I have been doing this since we were married. Now I just do it automatically. I take it out of my pay, out of her pay. We don't even think about it because we don't even see it come. It just goes automatically. God, we're going to commit this in our digital giving, and we're going to give you first. Got to pay the bills. Yeah, we got to take care of all those necessities of life. The necessities, not the wants. The necessities of life. And God, we're going we're gonna to invest in our future. And God, look at all that you've given us that's left. So God, we're going to be able to buy some new clothes. We're going to be able to help our kids out. We're going to be able to catch a movie every now and then. Go out to dinner and even get a smartphone. And you know what? No Apple Watch in there. (laughs) But look, there's even room to spare. So the point is, take care of the big rocks first. Put God first. Save for your future. Cover your necessities. Let that be the basics of your life. And then after that, God gives you a whole lot to be able to use as you want wisely within God's parameters, of course. So have a plan. That's the point of that. Have a plan. Have a plan. You know what? Money goes where you tell it to go. You're in charge of your money. It will go where you put it. You tell it to go to savings, it'll go to savings. You put it toward the Lord's work, it'll go to the Lord's work. You put it toward something else, it goes where you tell it to go. It doesn't control you, you control it. And as soon as you grasp that, then you are way down the line to being a good manager, to getting that well done and good faithful servants. So the idea is have a plan. Be a strategic 
giver, not just spontaneous. At the end of the month, when, you know, the first illustration, oh, I just, there's nothing left to give to God. There's nothing left to put to my future. So we don't. Have a plan. Be a strategic giver. If you're a strategic giver, then you have that money to do spontaneous gifts, to bless others, to do something for a missionary or a special project or or help take care of a friend or help out a relative or whatever that is. You can even be sacrificial. It's like, wow, now I have this month left over. I'm going to do something big and sacrifice. I'm going to give up something else I want because I think it'd be more invested in something that's of greater value for eternity. Paul, when he was writing to the... uh, the church in Corinth, because after, after the explosion of the church in Jerusalem and then persecution came because the Christians were becoming uh, such a force in the, in the city, they start killing Stephen and, and persecuting Christians. And the ones that remained uh, were outcast in the culture and they became very poor. So Paul goes to the Greeks that in the churches that he has raised years later, decades later, says, we need, to, we need to take an offering for the poor Christians that are still in Jerusalem. And notice what he says to them. In fact, some of these scriptures were up at the beginning in the bumper. He says, remember this saying. This is in 2 Corinthians 9. A few seeds make a small harvest, but a lot of seeds make a big harvest. Each of you must make up your own mind about what you're going to give. Be strategic about it. But don't feel sorry that you must give and don't feel that you're forced to give because God loves people who love to give. God can bless you with everything you need and you will always have more than enough to do all kinds of good things for others. The scriptures say God freely gives his gifts to the poor and always does right. God gives seeds to the farmers. He provides everyone with food. He will increase what you have so that you can give even more to those in need. You will be blessed in every way. You'll be able to keep on being generous. Then many people will thank God when we deliver your gift. So, where in your life can you be a generous person? Maybe it's volunteering your time. Maybe it's being a strategic giver. Maybe it's uh, having gifts and abilities that you want to use and share for others. Whatever that is, the question is, are you going to be the person that is going to be able to hear, well done? Are you building those eulogy virtues so that when people gather around and talk about you, they're going to say, that person loved well. That person was so generous. That person was just giving, selfless, serving person, had a servant's heart. Let's bow our heads together, if you would. God, give us a spirit of abundance. Give us an attitude of gratitude because we have been given this life and it is ours to invest. So God, give us the wisdom to think strategically, to give spontaneously, to even be sacrificial with all of this life that you've given us because we too want to build on those eulogy virtues. Help us to see beyond tomorrow. Help us to see beyond our own noses. Forgive us for being so full of fear, so afraid to take steps of faith. 
to invest in the things that have eternal value. Help us to be the kind of people that can change the world for Jesus like that early church. What if all of us were like that? No telling what you could do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask the servers to prepare, and uh, I should have done that earlier, but we're going to receive your giving this morning. And uh, again, uh, as we worship and sing about the faithfulness of God, I want you to have a heart of gratitude. Don't be under compulsion. Nobody has to do this. But I want you to say, God, what can I do above and beyond my regular giving to help us get this project done in Oakmont? And I don't expect you to turn this in this morning. If you want to, you can. But I expect you over the next couple weeks to let us know what you're able to do in the next six months above and beyond your regular giving. That's all we ask. Thank you so much for your giving. Let's worship God as we give this morning. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.